Welcome to the Holy City Church Podcast Station. This is Pastor Angel. If you missed Sunday's sermon or want to listen to it again, you're in the right place. We're glad that you can take the time to catch up as we go through God's Word together. So I hope you're ready. But if you're not, grab your Bible. Let's get ready for what God has in store for us today. going to stay there right there in in first corinthians we're going to kind of continue uh what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks we're going to go now to verses 18 to 31 and today we're going to look at uh, a little deeper on what paul means when he says in verse 17 for christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom lest the cross of christ be emptied of its power. So Paul is putting a lot of emphasis on wisdom in this, the beginning of this chapter. He's going to tackle wisdom. He's going to tackle the wisdom of men versus the wisdom of God. And today we're going to focus just on the wisdom of men. Because it's difficult to tackle both in just one sermon. So we're going to take this first half and we're going to focus on wisdom of men. So I titled this sermon... The wisdom of men, because it's very basic, very straightforward, so I don't have to get fancy with it or anything. But if you missed last week or if or you don't remember what we talked about last week, Paul started to tackle the issue within the church in Corinth. He's, he gave him an introduction of his basis, and then he started to tackle those issues. And his first issue that he started to tackle was division. The division that was already happening within the church in Corinth. And this division was caused by quarreling. They were going back and forth about who was better, who was wiser, who was smarter, uh, who should we be following and who shouldn't we be following. And by the time we get to verse 17, we can see Paul is trying to move them away from focusing so much on the wisdom of men and the things that men do. And he's trying to get them to go back and focus on the things of the words of God. So he's making his sole purpose to preach the gospel using the word of God and not anything else. He's saying, forget the wisdom of men, forget your fanciness, forget your eloquence, forget who's smarter. Let's go back to the basics, the word of God. And I want to be clear, just to, uh, when we look and, and when we see that he says to speak eloquent in wisdom, Paul's referring to, to preaching the gospel using fancy words, maybe fluent words like smooth you know maybe a words of, of persuasiveness like if you're trying to preach the gospel to convince people in a way that your your purpose of me telling you is to convince you some versions of the bible say superior wisdom it's like coming up with new and updated ideas and 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 revelations and things that would just either add to the word of god or remove from the word of god uh, just because, you know, to try to make it more pleasant for those who are listening. You know how sometimes it tends to people, oh, I don't understand it. Well, let me let me give you a new idea so it can sound prettier. Oh, I don't like that about Jesus. Oh, let me let me tell you. It's not really that. It's, it's like this, right? Just because they don't find it very pleasant or fitting. 
And many in the churches struggle with that fact, especially preachers, right? We sometimes think that we have to come up on stage and make a presentation of the gospel that is just going to blow your mind and it's going to, you know, make it to a point where you can't reject it. It's, how are you going to reject what I just said? It was so awesome and so fluent and so, so beautiful. These words that I spoke are so incredible. You can't reject what I'm saying. It's impossible to reject it. So we focus so much on trying to figure that out, on trying to make a presentation that we're all saying, oh, this is, this, is, this is too awesome to reject. I read a story about a church who one day had three specific visitors. One visitor was on the edge of suicide. He was, he was contemplating, he was struggling, so he was contemplating or taking his own life. One was living a life of, of fornication. He was just, you know, this person was just living out whatever his desires were. And another was thinking of stealing from his company to keep up with his lavish lifestyle. He had this lifestyle that was expensive, and in order to keep up with it, his just regular paycheck wasn't, you know, keeping up. So he was trying to find ways to be able to support that lifestyle. So he was thinking, I'm going to steal from my company. That way I can make extra money, right? And these visitors, along with the rest of the congregation, came to the church service looking for hope and forgiveness and maybe even some understanding. And then when the worship started, they got a sophisticated, elegant worship moment of praise. It was, it was an incredible, it was, you know, awesome instruments, very beautiful music. And then the sermon came, and then they got an incredible intellectual message called, Is Mars Inhabited? And I don't know exactly what was the sermon about. I didn't go look up for the sermon. I didn't go read it. I didn't really have time for that. But I was once in a youth service where they invited a, a, a speaker to speak, and he was a doctor. He was, uh, I can't remember if he was about to be a doctor. He was already finished. And he came and he preached to the youth that were there, including myself. But he was so smart that his sermon was about everything that he would do as, as a doctor. So there was a lot of medical facts, medical terms, medical ideas. And he was very smart. But I felt as empty leaving as I came. I was empty because of it. I was, I was ready to go to medical school, but I wasn't ready to face God. Because his message was very smart. He was a very smart man. And if I had to go to a doctor, I would go with him. But his message was empty. And just like those three visitors, they came looking for bread and what they got was stone when it was time for the word. And of course, it was said that a few days later, the first person committed suicide. The other one continued that life of shame. And then the last one ended up being in prison because he ended up stealing and got caught. See, what those three people learned was that the wisdom of man did not provide peace, it did not provide power, it did not provide forgiveness, and definitely did not provide salvation. That's why when Paul says, when Paul preached, when Paul said he was going to preach, and while Paul was preaching, he was not preaching using pretty and nice, beautiful eloquence. 
He was not going to use speculations and theories and scientific methods and all these intellectual things to preach the gospel. He was just going to preach the gospel. So why is that? Why is that? Though Paul was given wisdom, he was given knowledge, he was given intellect, because Paul was very smart. He wasn't just the ordinary guy that you found in the street. He was a very, remember, he came from a very pop, you know, popular and powerful place in his life. He was a very smart man. But why wasn't he going to use those as his leading method to do what he was called to do? I mean, think about it. Paul was more than capable of going out, out of his way to make his teaching so incredibly awesome that it was almost impossible to reject. But he didn't. He didn't do that. So we got to ask the question, why not? Why didn't he approach this calling that God has placed on him in this way? And we're going to look through these verses and we're going to look at three reasons why he wasn't. Why he didn't choose to go about it this way. And the first one is because the gospel is foolish for non-believers. So Paul begins to explain this in verse 18. He says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of of the discerning, I will thwart. So the word of the cross here refers to the gospel. Okay? The act of Jesus dying on the cross in order that we may be resurrected. That we may have eternal life. And, and I would just want to make it clear because it may sound a little bit contradicting. but and, and I don't want you to be confused. Understand that when we speak about the cross, it's hard not to speak about everything before it. If you're just talking about the cross, if I go to you, hey, you know, Jesus died on the cross for you for your sins. What does that even mean? So you got to start at the beginning. So when we say, you know, the gospel, if you hear me say, well, the gospel is, you know, talking about Jesus dying on the cross, understand that I'm referring to pretty much everything because you can't talk about one without the other. That's what we always say, you know, the gospel, the full gospel is the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus is everything, right? So this is not a contradiction. He's not saying, well, the gospel is just that moment that Jesus died on the cross, right? But that is the focus. That is what, you know, the evidence of who Jesus said he was, was him dying and coming back to life. So everything before that and everything after that is all goes with that. If it wasn't because of that, remember, we were just foolish people sitting here. If Christ didn't die on the cross, this is a waste of time. Or if that Christ didn't die on the cross and came back to life, this is a waste of time. Okay? Now, the word folly here means something that's absurd, maybe something that's ludicrous by, of course, the world standard. The word in Greek is actually where we get the word moron or, or, or moronic in the English language. So, foolish is kind of like saying... Uh, stupid or moron or something that's stupid or something that's moronic. So in other words, Paul is saying the gospel is stupid to those who are not saved. The gospel is ridiculous 
It makes no sense for those who are not saved. For those, who, for those people there who, who have yet to be changed, the message of God incarnated, dying on the cross for their sins, was something bizarre, something unusual, something that makes no sense, something that it's ridiculous to even think about. I mean, think about it. God would never die in such a low, pathetic way. God? You were talking about God. We're not just talking about men. We're talking about a God, a, the, the creator of everything, dying as the worst of the worst. I mean, if you think about it, without understanding why, it does sound ridiculous, right? Remember, the, the cross was reserved for those of the lowest of the lowest. I mean, what kind of God would make that kind of sacrifice? They thought it was moronic. So to try to preach this to, uh, to these people in a fancy, in a fancy, in an eloquent way is useless. I mean, think about it. What is the point of trying to make this all fancy when you're just not going to believe at all? So whether you give them a fancy gospel that looks awesome and sounds awesome, or you give them the basic and the real truth in here, they're not going to believe. This is foolishness. So why try to make something and, and take that risk of removing from God's power just to make it where they might feel convinced? Let me do what I can in my power to convince this guy or this woman that Jesus is Lord. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to water this down so they can like it. And they can, they're not going to like it whether you water it down or not. So why take away from God? But he's going to stick with it because it is different for those who have been changed. He's, he's going to stick with just preaching the truth, preaching what's here. Because for those who are changed, this message, everything in it is, is the center of salvation. It is why those who are saved can say and can make that claim and say, I am saved. It's because of this. If it wasn't for what Jesus did, I would not be saved. If it wasn't for what God did, I would not be saved. Paul is saying, this message is the power. And he says that because this message is what actually matures and grows a believer. This message has the power to set people free from bondage. This message has the power to one day deliver a person from sin and into the presence of God. I mean, Paul has seen the work that the Spirit has done through the Word of God in these people. That's why he reminds them of what God says in Isaiah 29, 14. Therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with these people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of the discerning men shall be hidden. Paul's telling them, hey, in the spiritual things, 
God opposes the wisdom of men. That's why he doesn't engage in speculative philosophy because at the end of the day, is if there's going to be any conviction, any conversion, any change, it's not going to be because I use these words and, and I'm very intellectual. It's not going to be because of that. It is going to come from God through the plain words of the gospel. And if anyone is going to find hope, it's in the word of God and not in the wisdom of men. If there's any hope for anyone, it's in God's word. And Paul actually calls them out. Verse 20, where are those who are wise? We're the scribes, we're, we're the debaters of this age. Has not God made foolish to, those, to the wisdom of the world? It's like, hey, where are these guys? Where are these smart guys? Where are they? Because of what the gospel is, none, the Gentile geniuses, the Jewish scholars, or, or maybe the, the, the Greeks, None of that, none of that intellectual things and none of that that they ever thought about or they, they, they think or they put together, none of that. None of that means anything. God has made them foolish through the wisdom. He has destroyed the wisdom of the wise just like he said he would. And you can see it throughout the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament. Every time somebody tried to get smart, God said, no. <laughs> you ain't smart. Look at the New Testament when you see the scribes and, and the Pharisees, right? Did not Jesus many times rebuke them because they thought they were better and smarter than everybody else? And yet Jesus will come and make them look like fools? So then he tells them, for since in wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And Paul's being sarcastic here. This thing that you call foolish, these things that you, you claim that you're that, that are dumb or stupid or moronic, these things, those claims, those things that you're saying are, are dumb, this is what saves people. Those dumb, moronic things that you're thinking of is actually what's saving people. Christ crucified is what it is about. That's what's the main focus. That is what saves. And guess what? He's happy about it. God is, is happy and he's glad that this is the way it is. That's how God planned it, as a matter of fact. This is the way he said it, that People will come to find God through the preaching, through the truth of Christ crucified, through the gospel. He said, man will be saved through what they think is foolish, which is Christ. They think this is craziness. They think God coming back to life. I've, many people, man, I've, I've had a conversation and I've heard conversation. I've heard debates. This is the dumbest thing Somebody coming back to life, that's no, that's foolishness. But that's what brings us to salvation. 
So the next reason why he didn't take this approach is because they were looking for signs that they were not going to get. Look at verse 22. For the Jews demanded signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and fully to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. See, the Jews were demanding proof. They were expecting something. They wanted and they were waiting for a Savior to come and save them from all the political things that were happening. They wanted a king and they were looking for a Messiah to come and rule over them and, and so they can be in peace forever. They were looking for signs and they were looking for wonders that would validate the message that they've always known. And then the Greeks wanted intellectual realistic proof. I want to see the proof. Sounds very familiar, right? I want to see proof. I want to see evidence. And yeah, they, they, the reasonable request, you can't necessarily just be like, oh, that's, that's not, oh, you should never request for that. Well, they're, they're reasonable. But that evidence, that proof is not what's going to save them. And it's definitely not what they were going to get. They were asking for certain things. They go, the only way we're going to believe is we will see this. And they were not going to see that. What they were requesting for was not going to happen. Not because God couldn't do it, just God chose to do it differently than what they wanted. And of course, this false expectation let them down. And they were offended. This message of Christ crucified is offensive to them. Because of course this is not what they were looking for. They wanted for something. They wanted a king, powerful king, evidence of being powerful. They thought they knew what they needed. They were like, no, we need this too in order for us to believe. They thought they knew what was supposed to happen. But they were wrong. And even if we would say God is weak, even if there was some kind of weakness in God, because Paul is being sarcastic there as well. If, if God would have any type of weakness... If God was missing any type of wisdom, even then God is still more wiser and more powerful than any human. So what's the point of trying to make this so eloquent and beautiful and perfect and so convincing when people are asking for evidence that they're not going to get? You ever had a conversation with somebody? What is it, this first thing? Uh, I want God to reveal himself. I want to see God. It's the only way I'm going to believe if I see God. If he appears right now to me and I see him. 
you're asking for something you're not going to get. God is not going to appear to you. If that's what he takes, then I guess that's not going to happen. We can see that in a parable, right? Hey, send, send, my, send somebody, bring somebody back to life so, so that my brothers can't see that somebody came back to life and they will believe. Like, oh, if they, if they didn't believe in Moses and the word that he was preaching, they're not going to believe in the guy that came back to, from the dead. Jesus came back to the dead and appeared to them and they still yet to believe. So they were asking for things that they weren't going to get. So what's the point of watering down the gospel? And the last reason why he didn't take this approach was because that way the glory is given to God. Look at what Paul points out in verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble at birth. But God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing to things that are. And Paul here is going to get a little personal with him. He say, hey, Look around you. Look at the people that have been called. Not every one of you, you know, because there are some that were wise to the world. Some were in, very intellectual. So he's not saying, hey, you only chose. But he's saying, look, the majority of you guys, based on the standards of the world, you guys were not really anything. You guys weren't smart to the standard of the world, not to my standard or the standard of God. According to the standard of the world, you guys were nothing. You were poor people who deserve nothing, worth nothing. And Paul says, he used those people, those who, who the world considers as no one, as nobodies. He used those people for, to make those who think they're smart and they think they're somebody really be nothing. He used those people to go out and preach what is not foolish, what actually saves people. And the reason he points this out is to make sure they, they understand that no flesh will be glorified before God. He wasn't going to use the wisest and most intellectual and the best and only those to bring the truth because those tend to get the credit for it. Right? Look at verse 29. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and, sacrifice, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that it is written, let no one who boasts boast, let the one who boasts, sorry, boast in the Lord. This is God's plan from the beginning. For him to be glorified. It's for him to be glorified. That is the goal. For him to be glorified. If it was based on human wisdom and the intellect of humans, they would start becoming dependent on it. Just like we were seeing. They were arguing about who was wiser and who was not. 
They were arguing about, no, we must follow this guy. And we start depending on the men rather than the God. The saving instrument, the, 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 the tool that was saved, the tool that was used to save was the word of God. That is, that is what really saves. Because that way God is the only one that gets glory for what is happening. They are found righteous, they are found sanctified, and they are redeemed. Not by their own power, but the power of God. So Paul is very clear with these verses. He's very clear. He's not going to make his ministry. He's not going to go take that route to his ministry. Because you're not going to understand anyways. Because they're not going to accept the evidence anyways. And because it is not Paul that changes them. It's God who changes them. So therefore he wants God to get the glory. Because I'm not going to. I'm not going to take this and put it on me and, and make myself look awesome so people can say, no, I am of Paul because he's so wise and intelligent. That's who we need to follow. Now, if you want to take anything home with you today, I want you to take two things that are very important. First thing is that man's wisdom cannot change you. We cannot change by the wisdom of men. The wisdom that men has to offer will not save you. It might make you smarter. But it's not going to save you. And we're all smart here. But salvation is not the achievement of human wisdom. There is no wise man. There's no scribe, no debater who can do what Jesus Christ did. Salvation comes from God alone through the sacrifice that came from on the cross. I mean, we all know Adam's sin, right? And that brought on this curse. So therefore, we're born into a broken world and then we walk alienated from God. And only through what happened on the cross can any one of us who call ourselves believers, in him true believers can say, I am saved. It's because only through God, through what he did on the cross. And the wisdom the man has to offer is not the reason why you understand this whole salvation. You say, well, you know, I understand why I'm saved because somebody told me and I, and I get it. Because this guy is so smart, he told me, now I understand. You don't understand because somebody told you. And Paul made it a point to make sure they, they tackled the division that they were creating, thinking one teacher was better than the other. And if you wanted to grow spiritually and mature and be smarter, you must follow this teacher. He was tackling that. This is because your understanding of the gospel is not based on wisdom of people. Your understanding of your salvation is not the doing of men. And yeah, God uses pastors and teachers to grow your understanding. And those are the tools God uses. 
But the pastor and the teachers are not the ones that are going to save you. I mean, I can get up here week by week saying the same thing over and over and over again. Sometimes no one goes, are you going to talk about that again? It's like, I, I can talk about this every single Sunday about the same exact thing. Over and over again until my face turns blue. And you're not going to understand it. Until God changes that in you. And he allows you to understand and until he doesn't make that change, there's nothing I can say that's going to make you understand. You can repeat what I'm saying to others and think and make all those think you understand, but in reality you don't. I know people that have read the Bible many times. They've read many commentaries. Yeah, you have a conversation with them and you can clearly tell they don't understand their saving grace. They still don't understand the gospel. They still don't understand what Jesus did. And that's because God hasn't done the work in them yet. Look at Matthew 16, verses 13. When Jesus came to the region of uh, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do you say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by the flesh and blood, but by the Father in heaven. Peter understood that not because of the wisdom of men, but because God allowed him to understand it. So if you understand the meaning of the work of the cross, the more grateful, the more thankful, and the more joyful you should be because he has been the one to reveal it to you. God said, I'm going to allow you to understand this. I mean, that's like, wow, thank you, God. That's it's not on me. It's not because I did anything. It's not because I heard the correct teacher. No, you, you allow me to understand this. Only when God regenerates your life and truly and you're truly saved and can you truly understand this salvation. And we were talking about it right before church. We were talking about it. I'm talking about Ben Shapiro, right? Oh, this intelligent guy, he's so smart, still rejects Jesus. I mean, this guy is smarter than, than, than anyone I know. <laughs> Sorry. And yet, he still doesn't understand Christ. Second thing you should take home with you is your wisdom cannot change others. And I've said this many times and I can't remember who I got it from. But if I can't convince you to believe in God, someone can convince you not to believe in God. So just because you have been changed and now you, you have this wisdom, 
the wisdom that the world considers foolish, now you have that wisdom. Does it mean that you, by your wisdom, is going to go out and change the whole world? We are called to go out and make disciples. That is to teach them. Teach people about Christ, about the gospel. That's what that is. But our approach should be the one like Paul's approach. We don't go preaching and making disciples with fancy, with fancy philosophical wisdom and, and all these intellectual things. We go with the gospel. That is it's written. We go with the gospel. We have to remember that from the world's perspective, only a moron will believe the message that's on the cross. Only a moron will live a life of self, uh, self-sacrifice like Jesus did. Only an idiot would do that. That's what they think. Remember, I'm not saying that's what you are. I'm just saying that's what they think of us. You know, a lot of times you say, well, to believe in Jesus, you must throw your brain and put it in the trash. It's the only way you can believe in Jesus if you're stupid. I'm not saying you are. This is what they're saying about us. But they don't get it. They don't understand it. So don't go with intentions that you're going to change them because of your intellectual wisdom. Let me prepare this theological, perfect incredible PowerPoint presentation with videos because that's how these guys are going to come to Christ. Spurgeon says, It is certain that a blind man is no judge of colors. A deaf man is no judge of sound. And a man who has never been quickened into spiritual life can have no judgment as to spiritual things. Who has not been changed by God would not understand this. You're just going to go out, preach the gospel, and God willing, He's going to use those words, the truth, the gospel, the, the plain and simple gospel, and God willing, He's going to use that to change those people. See, we have this tendency to think that we have to go out and, and know it all, right? And I'm not saying you have to go out and know nothing. No, but sometimes we think that if we don't know everything about this Bible, about the Word of God, every single little thing, it's impossible to go out and talk to anybody about it. I'm not. I don't know anything about the Bible. I'm not a theologian. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a pastor. I'm not, not any of that. How can I tell my friends about Jesus? I'm not any of that stuff. I wasn't called for that. We think that we have to answer and we must have an answer to all the questions the non-believers have about everything that's in the world. We see it as, as if I tell somebody and asks me a question and I go, I don't know. Whoa, whoa, this guy, whoa, this guy's not saved. He doesn't know the answer to that question. We don't have to know the answers to every question. And we get this idea because we think that the smarter and wiser the human is, he's more likely to know God. The smarter he is, oh, he knows God. Look how smart this guy is. He's really smart. He must know God. And if he's that smart, I got to be that smart to know God. 
then we also sometimes think that we must now change the gospel so that way it can relate to people because somehow the gospel is not relatable. So we got to change it. Let's, let's, you know, I don't like this message of, of you know, uh, of anti-LGBTQ and whatever other letters. I forgot what they were. I, uh, no, we, no, let's change this because this is wrong. We must fit into the world. We must, we must be like them. We must, we must, it must be okay for them. We may not offend them. The Bible shouldn't be offensive. So, so let's water this down so that way. But God cannot be found through human wisdom or the ways of humans. God can only be found through the message of the cross. And of course we're not going to find this and those people are not going to find this relatable. Of course not. They're going to read this and be like, no, this doesn't relate to me. Of course not. Many people in past time didn't find it relatable either. I mean, what do you expect? What do you expect from them? The wisdom of men is always going to be rebellious against God. So what do you think? Are they going to be like, yeah, that's, yeah, I should change my whole life now. One day, a student in Albert Einstein class, uh, some students in, in his classes were saying that they had decided that there was no God. And Einstein asked them how much of all the knowledge in the world they had amongst themselves collectively as a class. He asked them, hey, among you guys, how much knowledge of the world do you think you have? And then the students discussed it for a while and they decided they had 5% of all human knowledge among themselves. And he said that Einstein thought that they were estimated was a little bit generous. But he still replied and he said, is it possible that God exists in the 95% that you don't know? Because we think we know it all. So don't let your fear of not having wisdom stop you from being the tool that God uses to bring those to salvation. Don't be scared. Don't feel like you have to come with beautiful words and, no, come with this. This is beautiful enough as it is. Because understand that when they do come to Christ, it wasn't because of you anyways. So if you did preach the gospel to somebody and they came to Christ, it wasn't because of you. I want to tell you one last story. And I think, you know, this one really caught my attention. And I'm going to finish with this story. A strong church once inscribed, we preach Christ crucified on an arcway leading to the churchyard. Over time, two things happened. The church lost its passion for Jesus and his gospel, and the ivy began to grow on the archway. The growth of the ivy covering the message showed the spiritual decline. Originally, it said strongly, we preach Christ crucified. But as the ivy grew, one could only read, we preach Christ. And the church also started preaching Jesus the great man and Jesus the moral example instead of Christ crucified. The ivy kept growing 
And one could soon only read, we preach. The church also had even lost Jesus from the message, preaching religious platitudes and social grace. Finally, one could only read, we. And the church also just became another social gathering place, all about we and not about God. Church, we have to preach Christ crucified. That's what we're called to preach, Christ crucified. Not what we think of Christ, not what we think we should be preaching, not what should the community and the people and the society wants to hear. We have to preach Christ crucified. And don't put your trust in men. Don't put your trust in the wisdom of men. Place your trust in the wisdom of God. Because that's who changes. Church, pray with me. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you because it is you who saves us. It is your word what transforms us. It is everything about you and not about us. Father, thank you that it's not dependent on me or anyone around me. Thank you that it's all because of you because that is perfection. There's nothing mistaken about that. You don't make mistakes. You don't change your mind. Father, so thank you for saving us. Thank you for that one day that this word made it into our lives and changed who we were. Father, and thank you because as that day happened from up to today, up to right now, Father, you continue to grow us and you continue to change us. In that same way, Father, we pray that this word may make it to those who have yet been saved. The truth, not the watered-down version, not the nice version, just this version, the one that you left for us. That way there can be real change, real conversion, real saving grace, Father. Father, thank you for everything. As we go out, Father, we just pray that you continue to use us as those tools. We're thankful that you've chosen us to carry this out. We're grateful because of that. Now put those in our path that we may be able to be those to change with, with your words to change the lives of those people. Bring those people here, Father. Bring those people to our lives, to our homes. Wherever you need to bring them, Father, use us as the means for your word to change them. Father, we continue to pray for those who aren't able to make it. This same word that you've convicted us today, Father, convict them. Know that it is in, in you and not in us. Father, thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Church, you may be greeted. Hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you have any questions, would like to connect, or listen to our library sermons, jump right over to our website at www.holycitychurch.us. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and remember, this podcast is not intended to replace your time at the church. 
So we hope you have a blessed week and talk to you again next week on Catch Up with Holy City Church.